0: Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. Today, Steve and I cover The Body. This is episode four of the first season. That means that the end of this episode marks the exact midpoint through the first season, And I will say a word about next steps, because I want to right-size our expectations. Steve and I have had a lot of fun covering this. We're not sure if we're going to cover seasons two and three before season four comes out. One of the factors in that decision relates to the success of the podcast, as you might imagine. So... I guess a call to action is warranted. If you like what you're hearing, rate and review on iTunes. Share it with a friend. Share it with an enemy. If we can get our numbers up, then I think we can continue with this. If not, of course, we will have fun all the way through season one and then reassess when the new season comes out. Over at Cocoons of Horror, we cover Stand By Me this week and talk about how it relates to the Stephen King short story, The Body, I include an excerpt of that at the end of this episode. But first, let's pause for that golden-voiced buckaroo, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. It's the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it.
1: talk all day if you want
0: it it's the right thing to do steve nancy has a little uh run in with the law
1: yeah this is not nancy's style typically anyway
0: yeah have you ever had a little run in with the law yeah yeah Had some (laughs) run-ins. Are you you legally prohibited from talking about this?
1: Well, those juvenile records are sealed, I believe. So I don't know if it's like an annulment, right? Like technically it never happened. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. does that work? Exactly. Because I mean, once they say it's sealed, I mean, I'm assuming uh, it would come out if I was trying to run for the Senate, maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So Nancy gets called into like the cafeteria to get kind of interrogated. Uh, at yeah, sort of The old
1: cafeteria interrogation.
0: Is that is that what happened to you? Did you you and buddies get called into the cafeteria?
1: No, no.
0: they came to your house.
1: I've had them um, come to the house. I've had to go down to the station. That's fun. You ever that, had to go down to the station,
0: Anthony. Not. I mean, look, I've been in a station before, but it was. It wasn't like I was forced to be there. Got it. Once Aaron Penningcraft and I didn't have a ride to his house, and so we went into a. Police station, and asked for a ride home. Huh? It, this was this was Aaron's idea. This was not my idea. Gotcha. And then, of course, we sat in the back seat, and we wanted to be seen by. You know, right, right, yeah, yeah. Driving through town in the back seat of the cop that was the closest I ever got to being a delinquent. You got much closer.
1: Oh, yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've flown pretty close to the sun, though.
0: Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean I've I've been in the back of the car. I've never been cuffed. Never been cuffed. Right. But I've been in the back of the car, taken taken home, uh, given wrong address and fake name first in hopes that um
0: what what, what fake name did you use?
1: Evananger, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Hoping that his sister would open the door and say, Oh yeah, that's uh
0: that's, that's my brother. That's my and that brother. Be, and that would be that.
1: Instead, he opened the door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and
1: that sort of, sort of, uh, the jig was up, so to speak. Yeah.
0: Your genius plan was thwarted at that point. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was it was a Hail Mary. No question about it.
0: It was close to working, though.
1: It was very close to working.
0: Because, you know, Robin would have played along for yeah, sure. Yeah. I
1: don't think the parents were home. So, uh
0: uh-huh. huh. Could have
1: been like a, just a bonanza
0: so and of course Evan was the younger sibling right 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 so he's not gonna have the street savvy to play exactly
1: on. yeah he's probably also not thinking yeah I'm willing to get you know in trouble with the police for that guy <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the guy that I think is making out with my sister at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually don't want anything good to happen for this guy
1: yeah this is not when he's not on my list of guys I want to do a solid for.
0: <laughs> All right, so we're covering the body today. Yes, we are. I want to talk a little bit about Stephen King, but I don't know if I should do that up front or on the back end, or just see if it naturally comes up. What's your feeling? Well, it's not
1: going to naturally come up now because you just brought
0: it up. All right, you could. One could make an argument that this is as natural as it's going to get.
1: So, so it did naturally come up in a way. In a way. Because like even organic potato chips did not come about organically. They may have been grown organically, but like there was a lot of manufacturing. There was, that still yeah, had
0: there was going. some processing happen. Yeah, yeah. As you know, these podcasts usually wind back into potato chip talk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the level of our analysis. We
1: we should have called this the Crinkle Cut Podcast.
0: Oh my gosh, we missed an opportunity. Yeah, this
1: podcast has ridges.
0: You know what? Forget that. I'm going to see if it just naturally comes up. Or if I can force it in somewhere else. Mm. Steve, I have identified five major storylines. Five. <laughs> which means I'm using a six-sided die, which of course means that a goocher is in play. And of course, if the number six comes up, that is the goocher. That means that our podcast ends then and there. And no editing will happen on the back end. Uh, that, is wow. my, that is my commitment to you. So okay. if a, if a six comes up right now, this is it. This is all you get. <laughs> okay, here we here yeah. we go. So okay, we got ourselves a five.
1: Ooh, that was close. But actually, I guess it's all pretty close. Really think about it. numerically close, but
0: five is uh five is probably oh we'll see what happens here. All right, so usually five is like the storyline that I've identified as maybe the least remarkable. Mm. So we'll see. See if our powers of bullshitting come of, into play here.
1: You know, peel, peel them behind the curtain okay. a little bit.
0: This uh, is uh, Dr. Brenner and Company. One of Dr. Brenner's henchmen, named Shepard, we find out, is linked to a cable and pushes through the rift. Brenner loses contact with the Shepherd. They hear screaming and some kind of alien esque creature noises. The cable comes back empty. Then during Elle's flashback memory, she recalls that Dr. Brenner asked Elle to spy on a guy and she's able to spy on the guy's voice through the PA system.
1: This does harken like another little little bit of a poltergeist uh,
0: Yeah, they got uh, they got a rope. Sure. They're trying to pull a guy back through the you know, from the upside down with the rope. this is very poltergeist, I would say. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean I wonder so I mean the idea of like this sort of interdimensional jaunt little little walk yeah uh I wonder is i wonder if poltergeist is one of the first ones that ever really i mean it's the first one that i ever was aware sure. of um in terms of visualizing it right mm-hmm. so the idea that um because i think the idea of there being okay there's another dimension but you can physically get to it right and yeah. then not only can you physically get to it but theoretically you could tether the two so i think it's a pretty interesting concept right because this gives us a chance to really see That there's a physical space.
0: Kind of a gate situation. I mean, this is not fantasy literature, but you could point to like a tree where you go into elfland, or you could point to like a a wardrobe where you go into Narnia or whatever. So, all right, this is actually, I didn't know we were going to do this, but it might as well. We might as well do this. What is the upside down? It's almost presented like a, I don't know, like a Celtic thin space where like there's these little spots especially in this episode where you can go to this one little spot in the universe. And if you have a wherewithal, you can kind of punch through to the other side, or at least you're near to the other side, near enough that you could like talk to your son. Right. You know,
1: good sci-fi, good fantasy can, um, can take some liberties with things of this nature. And because it's like, okay, look, if, if most, most folk, I think are willing to accept that there's a certain amount of of things in the universe or beyond the universe that they can't necessarily grasp or comprehend. Maybe maybe the more cynical say that, yeah, it's understandable and the journey is to get to that understanding, right? Mm -hmm. But before you get to it, it is a mystery. It is a bit of an unknown. So even if even a cynical person might sit there and say, well, the upside down, can be explained they just may not be able to have that explanation so the idea that it's something beyond us would is necessary for this kind of a, a show because you're like look I the introduction of something that cannot be explained it's easy to present because you don't have to connect all the dots right so you can say well that doesn't make any sense like well okay maybe it doesn't make sense why you can see will in the wall but then but you're willing to accept the other parts that don't make sense you know so so you have to like sort of say, I've got to take this whole thing as it is. Right.
0: I mean, eventually we're going to learn that Elle kind of created a link with this other side by trying to use her psychic ability to spy, right? Right. Uh, so somehow there's a psychic dimension to the other side.
1: Right. So the thing, and the idea of being, hey, this, this existed beyond our comprehension and that was fine. But then we for whatever, however we did it, or whatever the reason was, yeah,
0: Pandora's we, box.
1: We were able, we were able to to tap into it, and now now we've got to deal with it. And our lack of understanding of it causes it to seem uh, terrifying because we don't know how to navigate it.
0: How are you feeling about the Matthew Modine meter? Where where's your meter at these days?
1: Um, the the economy of Modine is well spent.
0: Do you does he kind of qualify as sort of sexy gray fox? For you
1: hard to say, right? I mean, he's he's kind of got the uh, the dancing quaff, the, the later dancing.
0: Yeah, it's a great description of his hair here. Well, I mean, Danson is a great example of a you know, older gray fox. Can we yeah. say that Modine is sort of a poor man's Ted Danson?
1: I feel like Matthew Modine is a poor man's lot of actors. Like if you told me he was a poor man's Patrick Dempsey, I'd be like, "Yeah, that preaches."
0: You could, you could almost insert any actor. Like he's a poor man's yeah,
1: Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Eric Stoltz.
0: <laughs> all right, let me. Yeah, all right. That's that's really where we needed to go here. Would this have been better with Eric Stoltz as the evil scientist? Because he would have played it much differently, I'm sure
1: right yeah see because modine does a really good job of evoking that peter coyote quality Uh too right like but more sinister right the more sinister coyote um
0: well he's very reserved which makes him a a bit more menacing
1: right because if because he feels detached from it um emotionally right and i think that that makes a big difference for this right so it for, so going back to kind of what we were talking about, the idea of, hey, was this world meant to be breached or not? Is that how life intended? Is it just we just don't know? What's the cynic? Yeah, now he he would fall into the category, I would say, is this can't be understood. I don't have the information yet, but I will. I, I don't mind sacrificing people to get this information because it's important. Yeah,
0: so he kind of conveys that I'm going to follow the science wherever it leads. If it means right. that I have to destroy Hawkins, Indiana to do it, then so be it. Right.
1: And if you don't fear the the consequence, then that helps you not fear
0: the unknown. In addition to that, he doesn't fear the monster much. I mean, I mean he's not going into the rift himself, but I think he's more fascinated by it than anything. In the same way, right. he's fascinated by L's ability to snap a neck.
1: Right. And to some degree, these are both... Monsters of his creation, right? Yeah. Virtue of his scientific work, even though these things, even though L and this the creature or whatever they've existed prior to him, his unleashing of it essentially create he creates this scenario. So, and he's he's sort of the Frankenstein
0: in this situation. I'm rolling it. We have a number one.
1: Would would that mean that this is the one you think is the most interesting? Um,
0: No, number one just happens to be the characters we meet in the first scene. All right. So this is Hopper, Powell, and Callahan. So Hopper investigates Joyce's house, particularly the gateway wall, which now seems intact. Hopper goes to the morgue and learns that the usual procedures for autopsy have been superseded. Apparently, someone from state performed the autopsy. Hopper suspects that something fishy is going on and goes undercover to interrogate the patrolman who found Will's body. He beats the guy up and finds out that there's a conspiracy involving Will's body. Hopper returns to the morgue and punches his way into seeing Will's body. The body is a Build-A-Bear fake, stuffed with <laughs> cotton. He drives to Hawkins yeah. Labs and breaks in. This is before Build-A-Bear, I think. This
1: was the inspiration for build was it.
0: it was. This is what Hawkins Lab was really up to all along.
1: Oh, yeah, they had been working on this thing called Build a Will.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this was absolutely the inspiration for Build a Bear. And uh, unfortunately, I feel like it's gone downhill. That Will prototype was really lifelike.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Now, how did you feel about that? He was indeed just filled with stuffing. <laughs> that, that, was, I mean, like that that sort of i'll be honest i uh, the everything in the episodes got me but at that moment i'm like
0: what do you see like
1: something not as light oh like sure. that's that's pretty you know i mean we saw uh, but you want
0: like the body to float body. that's the thing
1: yeah but he's got to also like when you pull it out of the water it's got to look like a body i mean you don't want it to float to the point where like you could write it
0: You want it to be properly weighted. I think the whole point with the body was this will fool them from afar, right? You want to keep people a good 15, 20 feet away. This will fool them. Uh, So no one's going to be feeling how heavy this thing is.
1: You couldn't just fill it with, like, sausages?
0: That's gross, man. (laughs) That's grosser than an actual dead body.
1: Big body full of sausages.
0: That's disgusting. <laughs>
1: the the o version of Will.
0: <laughs> the Jimmy Dean stuff package.
1: I mean, you're going to get a stink, right? So that's going to seem authentic. I think Don't if you that feel good, that like, like thing with, so-
0: with sausages, that thing blows up. It's just going to bloat. But maybe that makes it look more... That would make it a little more... Lifelike.
1: telling you, man, there was, if he had reached in and just started pulling out sausages...
0: Like, like a big Scooby Doo like string of sausages.
1: Yeah, just and then like and, and that's how you end the scene, right? He just sits there, he looks at it all befuddled, kind of looks to the right, takes a bite out of the sausage, fade to black.
0: I was thinking it'd be like more like clown thing, like it never ends. It's like it just fifty sausages, sausages in.
1: He's just deflated at the bottom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's gross. I, I don't. I did not even know how that occurred to you. Well. That's a, that's just, a, that's than the cotton. mark of a demented mind. I mean, look, I, honestly, if you're asking how I really feel about this, I kind of wish they had done this a little differently. Uh, not because of the cotton or the stuffing or whatever. Lack of sausages. <laughs> I want I want more sausages. Absolutely.
1: Like why not just like or even just wet dog food? You know, maybe with some kibble mixed in.
0: I understand that these guys have the technology to like break through to the other side. They also have like a a horror props guy in their employ. <laughs> like, what? How are they building this body? They're good, man. <laughs> like seriously, honestly, I don't. I mean, you got to go to Hollywood to find someone that's good enough to do that.
1: Yeah, Rick Baker wasn't making anything this good that time.
0: Like, they go. What do they go like to the? Let's say they they drive up to Chicago. Go to like the local art institute and say, "Look, we need someone that can create a rubber body. It has to look really lifelike." And they do it. Then you got to kill the guy. I almost care about this more than some explanation for what the upside down is. I want to know who's <laughs> building the the a will. That's what I want. Like
1: know. there is like there is a division at this at <laughs> at this institute that specializes in in fake bodies, really
0: convincing. They got a body. wing, and pretty much. Everyone in town has a fake body that they could just—they could just go and access.
1: Or they're just on call. They're like, man, we haven't—like, I mean, it's weird that they had us hired to do this. We haven't made a body in like fourteen years. <laughs> You're never gonna guess. I just got a—I just got a letter. They need a body.
0: You're kidding me. Hopper's kind of a bad. <laughs> Hopper's kind of a bad cop, isn't he?
1: Yeah, especially if that kid wasn't full of cotton.
0: Well, all right, yeah. I'm thinking more like him, like interrogating that the guy, guy by beating him up.
1: Well, so that's an interesting. So that's an interesting take. Now we have, right? We're getting a better, a different glimpse of, of Hopper, right? So we've gone from Hopper the skeptic. Well, we've we've seen Hopper, the like, kind of like Hopper the mess, right? Hopper the. Uh, like we get Hopper the mess, then we learn that Hopper's not just a mess; he's he's kind of a broken figure. Hopper the skeptic, Hopper the then, then we can, now we're seeing like now we're seeing Hopper the emotionally involved. We're seeing Hopper the friend um, to some degree, right? So he's him stepping outside of his bounds of the law suggests that he feels that there's something bigger than those rules at
0: this mm-hmm. point. Yeah,
1: and so whether it's I wish somebody had done this for you know I, this is what I would do for my own daughter the idea that there's some other big thing at play here and and, and he's getting played for a... I mean, there's a lot, right? I mean, there's a lot of things he's getting played for, you know, a sucker to some degree. He wouldn't be doing this for a typical police case. Yeah.
0: I think that they've done a good job to establish that he's kind of a personality on the edge anyway. I mean, he's willing to go beyond the bounds of the job. And, you know, he's lost his daughter, so that puts him in an emotional place where Joyce losing her son might be enough to just push him over the edge and make him do things he shouldn't do. Right, and then
1: in addition to that, I think what we get out of this is his instincts were right. So he's, we get the sense that he's also competent as a police officer. Now his methods may be questionable, clearly, but his competency as a detective is is not necessarily in question.
0: Yeah, I guess he uncovers the conspiracy. He doesn't know what the conspiracy is yet, but he knows people are lying, people are trying to cover cover up a conspiracy.
1: He's taking a calculated risk that says, look, if I beat this guy up, it is for the greater good.
0: On top of that...
1: Because the information that i got to get is is, is going to un-
0: unlock yeah, something. Yeah, he's kind so of presenting now. as a rogue, some kind of rogue character. And in keeping with that, there was a little Han Solo moment in this episode he's talking to the guard and he's trying to get in he says hey the guy from the, the office sent me and the guy's looking oh, yeah, at him right, like right. what are you talking about and he just decides i'm just gonna punch this guy out hey i love that book it's a nasty mutt hey you can't be back here yeah i just got off the line with o'bannon he said that he needs to see you at the station in some emergency what the hell are you talking about i don't work with o'bannon
1: i say o'bannon i meant yeah boring conversation and boring
0: conversation that was that moment where it's like oh this guy's your han solo
1: right and with his and and so juxtaposed to to modine like we just said that there's a certain amount of hey i'm not emotionally involved in this so that makes me Uh scary um because i will do anything to uh to get to whatever it is i yeah. want to get to right if it's where now we have somebody who
0: it's a raw nerdy
1: yeah clearly emotionally involved which makes him makes him an interesting adversary in one regard because he may feel like he had and if he's already on the edge and he's already lost so much he may have less to lose but because there is emotion involved he is also capable of creating something that's worth not losing right so and that's where the the Joyce factor yeah. becomes an issue, right? Because if he was purely just like, "Hey, I'm just a cop trying to get to the bottom of this," then then he could be a really, you know, almost an even foil with with the the scientist yeah. uh, approach. I like that Dr. Brenner's
0: all brain and uh, and Hopper's all emotion. Yeah,
1: and so fully capable of investigation and getting to the bottom of something, but he can be clouded.
0: I'm rolling it. <clears throat> we have a number one, which we've already covered. We have a number four. Talk about it again. Number four is Nancy. Nancy tells Steve about the creature without a face. This, she thinks, relates to Barb's disappearance. Steve is more concerned about his dad finding out about the beer. Nancy storms off. Later on, Nancy is called from class to the cafeteria. Callahan and Powell question Nancy about the party. They talk about Barb. After school, Nancy and Karen fight. Then Nancy puzzles together Jonathan's photograph and sees the creature. He finds Jonathan at the funeral home and shows him the photograph. Jonathan and Nancy discover that they are both on the same case, so to speak. They go to the darkroom and enlarge the image of the creature. I mean, I guess I'd rather observe people than, you know. Talk to them. I know. It's weird. No. No. It is. It's just sometimes people don't really say what they're really thinking. But you capture the right moment and
1: it says more.
0: What was I saying? What? When you took my picture. I shouldn't have taken that. I'm oh, not. I'm sorry. It's just. That's it. That's what I saw. My mom. I thought she was crazy. But I mean, she said that's not Will's body, that he's alive. And he's alive from Barbara. This episode had a running theme of female characters not being taken seriously. So you've got Nancy trying to tell Steve that something's wrong, right? And Steve kind of blown her off. Right. You've got the L situation where the boys don't believe her. Mike initially does not believe her. Right. Trying mm-hmm. to dismiss L as sort of a liar or something like that. And then, of course, that's Joyce's whole story: is that people just keep dismissing her, and as if she's you know crazy or uh, you know hy- a right. hysterical woman or something like that. And I think this really comes up in Nancy's case where she's kind of the only one that thinks that Barb's in danger. I mean, even the model, huh, this is weird. The the cops are thinking, yeah, well, she probably left town. Like, this is a town where Will Byers just came up dead, right? Yeah. These guys, yeah, they, they you know, Barb just probably left town. So,
1: There's not gonna be two of these, and it's Barb.
0: And it's Barb. Let's be honest, it's Barb, right?
1: Yes, yeah, this is our least favorite
0: character on Facts of Life. <laughs> she does have a little uh, Natalie thing happening, doesn't she? <laughs> now, I was a two D man myself. I'll be honest You're about a 2D that. Man, I huh? was, yeah, uh, not a not a Joe. Something about the roller skates. I don't know. Ooh, okay. Fair, fair. And maybe it was yeah, because I, was... I, I knew that I could not roller skates. So I was just impressed with the roller skates. Not that Tootie was great on skates, but <laughs> she was just, you know, that she she was committed to it.
1: Yeah, I was always Mrs. G myself. Of course you
0: were. <laughs> this is very in keeping with your character. <laughs> even Nancy, even her, her mom is like more upset that Nancy slept with Steve than she is about... Right, the barb situation. So Nancy is really on an island here. So this meeting with Jonathan at the funeral home is kind of salvation for both of those characters, right? Because they were both in real isolation before this.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right, and the idea that there's this whole idea, like, and and we we touched on it a little bit with um, uh, Hopper, sort of circum, not just circumventing the the law, but I mean like essentially breaking the law to interrogate um because there's something bigger at stake right and good or bad the idea that you are uh involved with or have passion for something bigger than just the what you know your their surroundings mm-hmm. your your hawkins indiana um is is almost enough right because i mean that like you were saying i mean every like the mom's more concerned about sleeping around uh, Steve's more concerned about getting caught with beer and um, whereas they're like, Hey, there's something bigger going on. And I love the idea that it's a small town. These are, kids that are not maybe necessarily um, listened to. They just, everyone's kind of kind of filling their role, doing their job, doing the thing that they're expected to do. And the idea that they can form any kind of bond on something bigger suggests that they also are not bound by by Hawkins, Indiana to some degree, even though that could be terrifying. It could be a terrifying notion that that there's a upside down or monsters or, you know, uh, build-a-wills in the world or whatever it might be. The idea that there's something bigger is you know to some degree worth pursuing even if it's scary right
0: it also the stakes it's interesting how this show will raise the stakes you know whether it's about like whether two teenagers are going to get together or break up those stakes feel just as high as you know there being a, another dimension and monsters and things like that
1: right and it is interesting that they can then that's what the, just that again goes to the quality of the show that you will care about that right because it'd be real easy to just be like look there's another dimension there's monsters then that should be all we care about you know because it does if you really were to take a step back and say what would I do in a situation where you know I I saw my son reaching through the wall and and then disappearing I don't know that I'd be all like interested in breakfast
0: (laughs) I'm I'm rolling it like for a while (laughs) I'm always interested in breakfast breakfast is the best We got ourselves a three. Three is Eleven, Mike, Lucas, and Dustin. Mike is grieving as he looks at Will's old drawings, while Eleven attempts to connect to Will over the walkie-talkie. Mike continues to berate Elle for lying to him until they both hear Will singing. The next day, Mike calls Lucas and Dustin. They argue over what Mike might have heard over the walkie-talkie. Mike suggests that a stronger radio might help, so the boys decide... To disguise Elle and take her to school. Then they dress her up like E.T. and ride into school. (laughs) Mr. Clark intercepts them and they all go into the school assembly. After the assembly, Mike confronts Troy and pushes him over. Elle freezes Troy, Dr. X style. Troy pisses his pants. The kids use the radio to overhear Will's interaction with Joyce and the creature. Elle fries the radio. I wanted to talk about the place that walkie talkies occupied in our imaginations.
1: Yeah. Well and did you ever have like did you ever own a walkie-talkie
0: I've owned several. None of them worked. Well
1: that's the thing, is like the, the only range you could be in is the range you could be in if you were just talking to each
0: you're other. You were just shouting.
1: Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I know I can I can hear you. I hear you worse on this thing actually.
0: <laughs> but it was the imagination that was the important thing. Here's what you could do with a walkie-talkie. You could have the person go into the other room, mm-hmm. and you really couldn't have much of a conversation because you were al- always pressing the button while the other person was right. trying to talk. But just the idea of having a walkie-talkie, was, it was amazing. It was magic.
1: Yeah, in fact, I think the majority of the time that you would play with a walkie-talkie, it involves, hey, can you hear me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> or arguing over whether to say over and out or not. Right, yeah, exactly. That was a great little bit in this. So these walkie-talkies that these kids have, they're like military grade or something because... Right. They're not the ones that I have. No, no, no. These are not Fisher-Price or whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) These walkie-talkies are serious business. And it really kind of does give a little bit of sort of wish fulfillment for any kid that grew up during that period Because these walkie-talkies are actually functioning the way that you wish walkie-talkies could function, right? Right. And so I love it. I love that they're actually magic. These are actually magic machines. Because that's what they turn out to be. L uses the walkie-talkie to connect in some way to Will on the other side. It's a a brilliant move because that's exactly what we had always hoped a walkie-talkie could do for us. (laughs) um this is also very e t so you got the walkie talkies that that's e t and uh you know you've got a cre- you got a bigger radio you gotta create a bigger radio right yeah
1: your phone home type this is situation. a
0: very phone sure. home situation and then of course if you needed a direct homage you you've got the boys basically dressing l up in the exact e t costume right? right complete with the blonde wig and whatnot
1: what I like though is kind of like a combination of like tea and like like uh, like 16 candles uh-huh. or, or like breakfast club, you know, so it's you know, sort of right. Like- There's always
0: that scene where like the nerdy girl who's actually she's actually, she could probably like be a model, but she's like right, right, little like wearing a sweater and glasses or something. Yeah, and somewhere along the line, this is very sort of uh, you know, breakfast club kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, all you got to do is put a little blush on her and all of a sudden the boys eyes pop out of their heads. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I just like to look every these scenes I just look at Lucas's face. Lucas is always He he's telling you exactly what you should feel about this about all of these scenarios. All right, I want to bring in the Stephen King stuff here. The title of the show is The Body, right? Mhm. The body is the title of a short story upon which Stand By Me was based. Yeah. And in both that movie and this, you have a grief theme, particularly the loss of a brother, right? So even though Will is not dead, uh, enough people think he's dead so that you're dealing with the grief of a loss here. Correct. And then you've got some kids who get revenge on some school bullies, right? In a very sort of kid kind of way. Now, at the end of Stand By Me, you're actually dealing with guns and whatnot, but it's still a story about kids banding together and fighting back against the school bully. And then, lastly, one of the Hawkins goons is reading Cujo. So you actually see the face of Stephen King on the back of the cover art of the book. So I thought that was a nice little homage.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. that's good. Any
0: other Stephen King stuff you notice? Um I mean the the font of the, the 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 entire the
1: font and you've got your like firestarter type yeah um telekinesis thing going on i mean uh yeah and it's and i think the um cuz what's interesting about stand by me like you know cuz you see you see these movies right like i mean not that goonies and stand by me are the same but you got these kids on an adventure mm-hmm. right and but the interesting one about like how stand by me it was um the fantasy was reality right we're going to go see a dead body yeah We've heard of it. We've never seen it. So it's so coming of age. They're, they're going to go see a dead body. They're going to come face to face with death.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really sort of a trip to the other side, right? You're, you're actually going to experience, uh, something that's beyond this world. There's your
1: gateway to, to the upside down is death. I don't know what's on the other side of this, uh, something has to be right. Like it don't like, and that's where, you know, and that's where you get your folklore, you get your like, well, there's has to be something on the other side because otherwise what's the point of even being on this side? Well, what's interesting about, you know, the upside down is like, well, this is maybe, maybe this is as good as it gets. (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe what's on the other side is, is is pretty rough. Well, and
0: also there's the metaphor with puberty, right? There's a whole world that's on the other side of puberty where it's really you going through a life passage and losing something important you're losing your childhood. Right. Uh so there's that part of it. So and and I think that King doesn't do that a lot but he does play with those themes, you know, the whole it saga. Right. He's got a few of these uh loss of childhood stuff. And of course, uh Stand by Me is probably the biggest one. I'm rolling it. It's a goocher. There it is. And there it is. Oh Jesus man, that's a goocher. And now here's an excerpt of Steve and I's coverage of Stand By Me. If you'd like to hear the full episode, look for cocoons of horror wherever you search for podcasts. But first, a moment for capitalism.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready
0: to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So you
0: are talking about the difference between the book and the movie. Uh, this pie-eating contest that's, I guess, a movie-only feature, mm-hmm. does, this, does this work for you? It's a, it's a very different tone than the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, so it, it, as a kid, it was one of my favorites. Right, loved it. Loved the scene because I just think throwing up is one of the funniest things to watch. All right, and I don't know if it's because of this movie, but I th- man, if if I I will watch a friend throw up and giggle
0: with glee. All right, I have a much different experience with throw up, but I feel like as a kid, I felt a little bit scandalized by this story. I remember thinking like. I don't get it. He made himself throw up. On the off chance that someone else was going to see it and throw up. This is not a good plan. Well, like you're doing it to yourself. This is not gonna. This is not gonna work. And of course, you know, I I I probably was not thinking through the the purpose of the story, um, right? Or the way that the story functions in this. The story is
1: a story. It's not like it's. he's recounting a tale but
0: it was a little bit like teddy you know at the end of it teddy was like all right what comes next
1: right <laughs> well i love so that's that that is and i appreciated that sequence more the like the end of it because i mean teddy i mean we just get another glimpse into to well who teddy is yeah and, how does and he, he want the damage? story to
0: end teddy wants it to end he, can he just go home and shoot his father <laughs> and then, like large-ass. join the texas rangers <laughs>
1: Lord ass after after making the entire town essentially throw up and getting his revenge is like mm, no there's one more thing I could do. I did this fun little prank with vomit. I'm going to go murder my dad.
0: And then <laughs> That'll join, seal join it. the Texas Rangers,
1: which apparently they don't do a lot of background checks at uh, Texas Rangers.
0: Total par for rama. That was the best, just the best. Yeah. Then what happened? What do you mean? I mean, what happened? What do you mean what happened? That's the end. How can that be the end? What kind of an ending is that? What happened to Lardass? I don't know, um, maybe he went home and celebrated with a couple of cheeseburgers. Jeez. That ending sucks. Why don't you make it so that, so that Lardass goes home? He shoots his father, then he runs away and, and he joins the Texas Rangers. How about that? Uh, I don't know. Something good like that. So, this is his. Dr- like, he loves his dad, right? He wants to defend his dad. Even though his dad has held his. Well, he loves, a he loves his
1: dad. He loves his dad's almost like a hostage would love his captor,
0: <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but you kind of see it in that little moment, it's like, yeah, you love your dad. You actually are fantasizing about murdering him.
1: Well, and that's and I think that that's why that scene is so great because it's like, well, if you're going to tell me a story where somebody who's down gets uh-huh. a chance to be up, yeah, it, it better end really good, and that would be killing my dad. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but then and what I love, like, Vern's response.
0: Oh my god. It's like there's one thing i didn't get
1: did he have to pay because i and i don't know why paying to be in the pie contest is such a big deal is it is it
0: yeah.
1: is it is it because he's like well you just threw up all that pie that you paid for is it okay, he's still here's just why. Here's it's why. all about the pennies
0: we have yes it's a running penny theme yeah because he's thinking i that's me i i could do this but damn but, it if I had but if I, I gotta find if, my penny jar first. If but I'm if I'm sitting there try, I gotta
1: dig more holes just to get into this pie contest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I the other thing when I was a kid I thought, what are the rules of this pie eating contest? It yeah, looks, because it yeah. looks like <laughs> they take that. three bites, move the crust around a little bit with their nose, and just shout done. Yeah. I've no, never actually it. seen a pie eating contest there's gotta be better rules than this right? i've been in one and you gotta get all that crust you don't get oh, just... you better all right let's pause here you've been in a pie eating contest yes yeah, so with matt curtis, i feel like you're you're about it's like equivalent to you telling me you were in a kissing booth at one point.
1: <laughs> did you go on the tunnel of love? there's
0: there's, there's nothing that sounds more old-timey than to say yeah. that you were in a pie eating contest with matt curtis
1: Yeah, it was like, I think it was at a UC Davis, like, you know, family, like, hey, everyone visit the campus. And then I don't know how exactly we got into it, but it was, and I remember there was some, I think there was some tomfoolery between us, like pushing the the pie thing away when I was doing really well.
0: (laughs) So you're telling me that you were sort of a pie eating prodigy. Because I don't the, think that I'm, you probably sure had a lot his of memory, practice here.
1: No, and I'm sure his his memory is probably the other way around. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> we're both Richard Dreyfus probably in this story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're saying that you, you almost won, but you didn't because of his tomfoolery. That's what I think, and it, it could very well have been
1: the other way around. Because I don't even know which, if I was telling the story, like trying to remember it correctly, I'm like, or if I was going to go ahead and embellish. I don't know if I would rather be the one that was really good at eating pie and had to have someone step in, or if I'd be the, the jerk that would push the pie thing away. Wow.
0: I I had no idea. I had no idea this was part of your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but you don't get away with leaving those edges. We'll just put it that way.
0: Hey, three bites. Three bites, and you just shout, done, and yeah. they move right on there.
1: Yeah, I guess it's all about how much pie is on your face. The more pie that's on your face, the more that they'll believe that
0: you're done. Uh, Did you remember that it was John Cusack? I did not. And were you surprised when you saw John Cusack? I did have a little bit of like,
1: oh, Cusack's in this.
0: It's one of these really sort of because he's not in many, you know, what is he in like maybe two minutes of the movie? Right. at, At the most. And you're thinking. Wow. So that, wow, Key for some Wow, that's that's impressive. And then when Cusack shows up, you're like, he's perfect. This guy's perfect for this role.
1: This, my friend, is for you.
0: Hey, this is your Yankee cap. No,
1: no, no, this is your Yankee cap. It's good luck, Cap. You wear that cap, you know how many fish we're going to catch?
0: How much? Brazilian. Brazilian fish. And it looks good on you, too, just like that. Hey, mom, I'm going blind. Hey, don't start with me, porcupine. Come here. Come here. Give me a hug. You yeah. totally believe that they're brothers and he's like it, of, of course he's the perfect Older brother because it's his memory Exactly Of the older yes. brother he's not going to remember all the times That his older brother ignored him Right and so huggy And he's so mm-hmm. you know
1: so encouraging Because he's that's the memory And that's then that really helped I think frame Why I was able to see those Parent moments as like being more horrific And like over the top And I'm like well, could, well now it makes sense because we are going Through the memory of even like even though we're seeing his memory of his brother in the film, the film is also a memory, right? And and I yeah, think it's totally
0: that tinged with golden, you know, nostalgia,
1: right? And I think it's cool too that like because I mean, because Cusack, I mean, at the time Cusack was still Cusack, but like it doesn't take away from the film that there's another recognizable actor because I think what it helps it helps you to remember Denny now throughout the movie because now you've got a a, a face that. You, Personally, I associate positively, so um, hmm. the the loss of of John Cusack uh, matters to me.
0: Hmm. Oh, wait a second, he's not dead, is he?
1: In real life? <laughs> In real life? Well, I mean, here's the thing: this podcast I like to think is going to be real popular for years. As of now, as of the recording, he is alive. But there are going to be some people that are going to be listening to this years from now, and they're going to be like, oh, man, Cusack, 20 years he's been gone. I mean, I don't know how long people are going to be listening to this podcast, but I like to think it's going to be probably 40, 50 years from now.
0: Does this movie have a half-the-battle-when-the-grow-on moment? I
1: think... I mean, it feels like there's a there's a few, right? I mean, it, it, if, if anything, it, it feels like... When it's that's over, and they all just sort of leave, yeah, it's so uh, interesting to me.
0: It's like not that, just the end of that adventure; it's really the end of their friendship. Yeah,
1: the friendship ending, sort of the end of of this point of their lives, right? Yeah, and and like I, you know, you sort of take away from it what you will, right? I mean, obviously, him and Chris, uh, Gordy and Chris, are, are more in touch as as they are older. And and there is something I felt like I kind of took this, you know, almost like just cherish the moment you've got right? if I was going to take something away from it. Right. Which is I'll be, well, obviously with the death theme. Right. I mean, there's there's this idea that, you know, almost take nothing for granted, you know, whether it's good friends, whether it's it's close family um, or just experiences. Right. That's like a takeaway. I think that's a takeaway I got when I was younger. And I still kind of felt a little bit of that.
0: There's this one line in the movie There's a couple lines that I really sort of think encapsulate the movie. But one of the lines is that there are certain friends that just kind of are there for a certain stage of your life and they move on like a waiter at a restaurant. Yeah. And it's just that's just so true. There's that is absolutely a life lesson. You know, in this moment, no one could be a better friend. You know, this is your best friend in this moment. And it could be that three years from now, you're, you give him a little nod in the hallway. And that's as much as you have in common with that person. The other thing that, that was interesting to me was there's the shop owner. And he doesn't have a lot of lines, but he's asking Gordy, like, do you play football and all that business? Mm-hmm. And he says this one line, he says, in the midst of life, we are in death. But he frames it like this. He says, do you know that in the Bible it says, in the midst of life we are in death? And I thought, that's perfect. That was not in the book. But I really feel like that encapsulates so many themes in Stephen King's works. Right. Like, you're alive. You're alive. But you are right on the doorstep of death all of the time. Yep. It surrounds you. And so I thought, that's really interesting that Reiner decided to put that in there because... Or the screenplay writer, whoever decided to put that in there, it's not in Stephen King's book, but it totally, in a nutshell, captures a major theme from King. Well, so, and I think that
1: we talked about Pet Cemetery, how like yeah. it's it's an adaptation almost more visually than it is thematic. It misses some of the psychological horror, some of the, right. the the turbulence that goes on in in one's mind when they're dealing with loss, and so it 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 translates this like horror book horror movie there is killing here is killing this is gruesome this you know and and that's all it does it's a very like it's a thin veneer of trying to understand well, and
0: also with that it sort of is a it's in a slasher flick at that point and so right it, it's the basically the genre will trivialize the death whereas a movie like this the death is actually more poignant because it's not trivialized Right, and and like, and you said,
1: I mean, okay, they maybe made some tweaks to the story, but that's pretty true to it. But, but that line that you mentioned shows that these filmmakers, they get the work. They totally they get it. What, and what the other
0: thing about. that, yeah, the other thing I've I noted about it is, I thought I don't remember that verse from the Bible, and I'm a <laughs> study this quite a lot, so I looked it up. It's a, it's not from the Bible. It's from the Book of Common Prayer, mm. which is a book that you would find in a church. So close enough, right? Got it. But I thought it was kind of great that the shop owner associates it with the Bible. Right. For me, it was sort of the same way that Tarantino has Jules misquote Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. Right. Like he knows what he's doing. He can go look it up. But this is done on purpose. It's like for Pulp Fiction, Jules is actually paying homage to this misquotation in a like a sunny chiba film Mm -hmm. where that verse is quoted and misquoted and i think that brings a certain level of authenticity to this film because you know it's exactly the kind of thing that you're going to misquote you know you this shop owner is not going to know the difference between a, a verse he heard at a funeral between the book of common prayer or the verse he heard from a sermon in the bible or whatever so sometimes those little discrepancies those little errors bring a level of authenticity to the film
1: well i'll tell you right now it, it totally did for me just in this conversation because i didn't i mean i liked that scene and i liked everything but the, that quoting one it felt a little at first i was like is this is this just a dropping in like the the screenwriter or the director dropping in a another way to frame this film which i think is still nice and it works yeah but knowing that it was kind of an intentional uh misquoting to make it more authentic makes it makes it like totally work even better now
0: i think so i i i love it i don't even care if it was a mistake i feel like Mm -hmm. the mistake whether it's the actor's mistake or it's the writer's mistake i feel like That works. Life is full of those kinds of mistakes.
1: There's the other line in there that really got me, too. It's just when he asks, like, do you play football? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, what do you do?
0: You play football? Hmm? Do you play football? No. What do you do? I
1: don't know.
0: Yeah, well,
1: your brother Denny short to play football. And just, he didn't have really anything. He's like, I don't right. know, I don't know. Yeah, and and I love I love that idea of the pressure we put on kids a lot of times. Like, well, what's your identity then? And it's like, yeah, um, I, I I probably still wet the bed a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, also. He knows he's a writer, right? He knows he's a storyteller, and yet he's still viewing that through his parents' eyes. Like, this is not valuable. This is a total waste of time. Chris Chambers is there to say, no, this is a gift. And Gordy's still at that stage was like, yeah, but it's not like being a quarterback. It's like, this is just something I do for fun. So he's very uncomfortable with the fact that he's not his brother. Right and that's to- and that in that scene in the shop brings that out it's like yeah your your brother was a really good football player
1: it's the it's he's being like so we're talking about this is this a horror film sure and he's being haunted by the ghost of his brother yeah everywhere he goes
0: yeah that's right everyone in the town even ace knows even right. ace and- says <laughs> you must have some of the good sense of your brother in the book that's what triggers him that's thinking you know you should not have brought up my brother mm. <laughs>